0: Flea beetle Is it a problem on your farm at the moment? On the programme this week we ask, are we seeing the first effects of the ban on neonicotinoids?
1: I'd say that we have unprecedented pressure this year by comparison to, um, to usual.
0: It's just one issue we'll chat about with farm manager Ollie Smith and later we'll discuss the importance of being an open farm
1: all year round. What we really need to do as an industry is engage with our public. And this is one thing we've not been very good at. Plus, hear what happened when I took a tour
0: of Open Field.
2: The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale.
0: Good morning. There are many pressures on the farm this autumn. Mind you, when isn't there? Uh, DEFRA this week announced to try and help one of those pressures that farmers will be able to grow grass and other edible forage for livestock in areas that aren't normally allowed for grazing. It's to help build up reserves again after many had to break into winter feed over the summer to feed their animals. It's after the EU's ecological focus area agreed to relax the rules on crop requirements, which usually, of course, insist that certain areas must be left fallow. Well, the ongoing impact of the summer drought is just one pressure on our farms, one of many, as I say. This week, I paid a visit to Sturton Estates on the edge of the walls to chat with farm manager Oliver Smith about how life is on his farm at the moment.
1: A good lot of the oilseed rape is now going. Um, some of the sort of last drought stuff is struggling a little bit under pressure from flea beetle, um, and actually a little bit of dry condition. Um, we have had the best of... A Bad lot here we had quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of rain in August, which helped out by comparison to an awful lot of other places. I do know. I have a friend down um, down in the south of the county near Grantham, whose rape is nearly entirely right off it 's just sat there, not grown for a good lot of it, so uh, like I say, we are fortunate in that respect, but uh, yeah, and we're just getting limbered up ready for winter cereal. Uh, hopefully barley will be going in the end of this week we 've got a bit of craft. Barley, um, which is a winter malting variety, going in, and then into October we'll start drilling wheat. Um, timings of each
0: field will depend on blackgrass pressure, as always. Mm. We're uh, trying to, to tackle the blackgrass flea beetle as well. A lot of people are, are saying that you know it seems particularly bad this year, is it? Or-
1: um, I would say that we have unprecedented pressure this year by comparison to um, to usual. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of noise made about the neonicotinoid ban. Um, that's bound to have helped us in the past, uh, and I'm sure that that's why we haven't had to do a broad spectrum um, spray of uh, any sort of insecticide before. Um, I think last year we treated ten percent of the crop, and this year, by the time I'm done, we will be on
0: a hundred percent. And obviously, you know, that's not going to change, is it? By the looks of it, with the neonics and everything, so it's a, it's a pressure that's going to continue, I
1: guess. Yeah. The- the hope is that we retain NeoNix at least on a derogation for sugar beet, because uh, we could see, um, I was talking to our fieldsman last week, we could see up to 60% yield reductions in the worst cases of virus yellows, uh, and there literally is nothing else um, as far as sugar beet is concerned so there is a very small chance that we will retain that on an emergency derogation this year but it is only a very small chance um, I believe that We've got to wait for a few of our cousins in Europe to make their minds up before we find out ourselves. But uh, yeah, I I was getting towards a point on this farm where we could manage without any field-scale applications of um, insecticides applied through a crop spray, and I thought that that was a pretty good place to be in. Really, Uh, we're seeing a, a proliferation of. Um, wild English partage for example which um, I'm sure is in no small part down to an increase in uh, general insect life around the place.
0: sort of course um, increasing in popularity how, how was the summer for the deers I mean presumably they need feeding they needed keeping cool there's plenty of trees I guess but it was a really hot dry summer as we know wasn't it?
1: Yeah we don't really struggle for for water here there are a a series of ponds that run through the estate we were very very short on grass Mm. we had to uh, supplementary feed beef nuts and barley and also some of the earlier silage cut Mm. we actually did a fairly late cut of silage on a a mixed herbal grassland um, and it yielded an awful lot more than we're expecting so we're okay now for winter forage but i appreciate there are an awful lot of people who aren't and how many
0: uh, deer have you are here? Uh, we
1: have 120 breeding hinds uh, and all the followers. Uh, we've been retaining our females up until this year, so this year
0: will be the first full crop. And uh, the venison business going well?
1: Um, it is a developing part of the business. Um, like I say, this year will be the first full commercial year, so the, the animals that we're starting to sell
0: now are the, you know, the first commercial part. Talks about neonics and the other pressures on farming at the moment. The Agriculture Bill is, is going through Parliament right now. What would you like to see? What, come next March, when we're probably going to be out of Europe, who knows, with Brexit, the Agriculture Bill at the moment, what would make your job easier? If, if government ministers are listening now, what can they do to, to make life a bit easier here on the farm?
1: Right now, a few uh, hard and fast definitions of all the woolly terminology that occurs within it... Um, particularly this uh, public good. Mm. I think I know where Michael Gabe is heading with it, and while I don't agree with everything that he's doing, there will be opportunity within what he does. I would like to see some focus on production. I would like to see some emphasis on production, because after all, and I forget who I quote, but um, unless we're in the red, we can't be green. So, uh, yeah, we just need to see some focus on, on actual production and not all to do with
0: making us into a parkland. That's Oliver Smith, Farm Manager at Sturton Estates. We'll hear more from Oliver later as we'll look at how the farm itself has diversified to, if you like, guarantee its future and how it's engaging with those of you not in farming as well. That's a bit later on. First, our agronomist Sean Sparling was listening with interest to what Oliver had to say there, especially uh, about the flea beetle and the thorny issue of neonyx, wasn't you, Sean?
3: Well, yeah. Uh, Good morning, Sean. I couldn't agree with Ollie Moore and anybody that's listened to me for the last two decades droning on about this knows exactly how I feel about uh, registration and the loss or the maintenance of active ingredients within our industry. If you look at the neonicotinoids on sugar beet and on cereals, that is precision engineering and precision farming at its best. We're putting an insecticide directly onto the seed, so there is no need to spray broad acres, there's no need to spray non-target creatures. We're directing it at the the pest which is likely to cause the problem. That sublime is, is not too big a word to describe what we're doing with those seed dressings. But now the EU and Michael Gove have stepped in and we've got politicians deciding that actually we don't want that anymore because there are so many voters saying they don't want them that I think we'll just ban them. And then that's good because we get plenty of votes. The problem is it's a form of social engineering which has caused people to think these things are bad. Um, With the onset of Twitter and Facebook over the last few years... Anybody can say whatever they like about any subject, anything or any person with complete impunity. And the more people that read that, these things go viral. People read something, they believe it to be an absolute fact. And it's based in conjecture and misinformation, very cynical misinformation in some cases. So what we now find ourselves in the position of, instead of science deciding that we can't use something because it's unsafe... We've got science saying these things are safe. They're safe to us. They're safe to the environment. They're safe to the bees. They're safe to the non-target species. They're much safer than the alternatives. You've got politicians saying, well, we read somewhere that they're not. And all these people are saying that they can't be. But these people aren't scientists. They are, however, voters. Therefore, we're going to get it banned. That is a very worrying situation. Because make no mistake about it, 60% is a very conservative estimate for a yield loss in sugar beet if we get beat western yellows virus. If you couple that to the other thing neonics are controlling. So the soil pest complex, as simple as the springtails, the millipedes in the soil, the pygmy beetle... Um, you can add another 20% onto that. So all of a sudden it's 80% yield loss. The replacement insecticide we would have to use would be an overspray of a pyrethroid, um, maybe two, three, four oversprays of pyrethroid, which were going to be largely a waste of time because we've been relying on pyrethroids for so long because all our other groups of actives have been taken away from us since we got neonicotinoids, seed dressings on the sugar beet and the wheat, that the bugs and the grubs are resistant to pyrethroids. So if we get the virus vectors in the field carrying beet western yellows virus, an application of pyrethroid is not going to control them. That is the problem. Um, and this is why we should be trusting the scientists. We should be trusting the people whose only job is to make sure we and the environment and the non-target species and the beneficials are safe when the chemicals we are using are used according to the label. If they are used safely, and these scientists are saying that they are safe to us, then we should abide by that and we should listen to that. We should not be listening to politicians who are simply out there looking for votes. Uh, that is not the right way to proceed, and it's a very worrying world we now find ourselves in. I'm afraid when politicians can make their decisions with absolutely no scientific basis whatsoever. Um, I mean, it's it's as big an implication on cereal, Sean, to be honest, because BYDV barley yellow dwarf virus. You know, we get grain aphid, rose grain aphid, bird cherry oat aphid carrying the virus in their saliva. Those aphids are pretty much resistant to pyrethroids, and we've seen that in years 2012. The only thing which stopped BYDV in 2012 was if people had used a deter seed dressing because the insecticides simply didn't do the job. That's something we've all got to look forward to. Could be the end of sugar beet losing neonics, um, because who's going to put a crop in the ground knowing they're not even going to recoup the cost of the seed and they may be spending money all the way through and then get virus yellows and lose the crop after they've spent all that money. Nobody's going to do it, so it could be, well be the end of sugar beet production in the EU and the UK. And then we're relying on cane sugar, which, and we all know the profile of that environmentally, which is shocking. So it's a really worrying time, if I'm honest, more so for consumers Um, because, you know, the cost of food is bound to go up because we're going to have to import more because we're simply not going to be able to produce the quantities we want. And if the food we're importing is being treated with the stuff that the EU, in their infinite wisdom, have decided to get rid of, what was the point of getting rid of it in the first place? Very, very worrying times. You know, we've gone from about 380 active ingredients today. We need to rely on a risk-based system, not hazard. Everything's hazardous. Let's not just ban everything. If we have to ban the hazardous, things then everything goes from toothpaste to coffee to sunshine and water everything else too so let's just be sensible about the whole thing so let's just do a quick run through the agronomy side of things cabbage stem flea beetle is still causing problems in winter oilseed rape. rate we had rain at the end of last week a warmer weekend then we had two frosts at the beginning of this week two colder days very warm days in the middle of the week you would expect the rate to be growing away from this damage now but the f- cabbage stem flea beetle are still at it if you've sprayed them with pyrethroid once and you haven't killed them there is little point spraying them again because they're probably resistant to the pyrethroid and that going forward if you find cabbage stem flea beetle larvae in the stem of your old seed rape. don't be duped into going and spraying an insecticide it is a waste of time you know once they're in the stem there's nothing you can do about them you might as well put the sheep on it and graze the crop off the field so we just have to keep our fingers crossed we can get this crop through and away from the direct feeding damage because the next phase is that egg laying and the larval damage Get 30 kilos of nitrogen on before the 1st of November to get these crops moving away. And winter wheat, if you've got blackgrass land, please don't be duped by this lovely weather and thinking, oh, if it comes wet, we might not be able to drill. If you drill wheat into bad blackgrass land and the blackgrass comes up with the wheat, it won't matter how much prem you put on; you will not control the blackgrass. You have to be sensible about it. Let these stale seed beds do their job. Chip them over. Get a flash of UV light into that seed bed. There's a bit of moisture there. The blackgrass should come, but Please don't jump too soon, because it will pay dividends for you to give it another two or three weeks and get some of this blackgrass out of the way with glyphosate. The only way to control blackgrass in a crop is to use every tool available to you. Cultivation, cultural methods, stale seed pre preems, herbicides, all of those things are vital. Seed rates, all vital. But if you get two or three of them wrong, you're up against blackgrass all year. So uh, let's hope nobody caves in this week and goes drilling wheat on blackgrass land. Fingers crossed.
0: Thank you. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. Each week here on the programme, we get the latest grain market news from the team at Open Field. Indeed, we'll hear from Rebecca in a short while. But if you're eating toast at the moment, especially if maybe it's a slice of Warburton's, then the grain that's gone into your loaf will have been supplied by the team at Open Field. Likewise, if uh, you eat a BLT sandwich from a certain supermarket chain, the pigs that make up the bacon will all have been fed by grain from Open Field. Recently, I paid a visit to its Colsterworth base on uh, Honeypot Lane to find out a little more about what they do. Phil Crowther is commercial manager there
4: and showed me around. So currently at the moment we're processing um, wheat and barley seed um, for farmers to plant um, anywhere between now and the the end of December for the um, winter cereals. So that's what we're doing at the moment. We're taking orders, treating them to the farmer's specification and delivering them to farm, ensuring that they're right first time.
0: And it's important, isn't it, that getting it right first time is very, very important, both for yourself and for the farmer.
4: It is. It's the farmer's livelihood at the end of the day, and he's got to plant it and then have a crop at the end of it, and that will be his, his income for the next year. So it's very, very vital that we get it get it right, not just in terms of seed quality, but the advice that we provide the farmer.
0: Just talk us through where we've just been. Yes, yeah,
4: so we went down to the um, sea plant, and we had some RAGT gravity, on the line and we were watching it going over the pre cleaners um and then into the clean bins. Um, we were also watching um some of the logistics around um lorries tipping and, and lorries loading finished product onto onto curtain ciders for the um to be delivered to farm.
0: Have you been impacted by the, the early harvest by the hot summer we had? we've certainly been impacted by that
4: um in terms of rapeseed the lack of rainfall ahead of plantings has has made farmers have come on very very last minute and it's understandable they're not going to want to um, pay for seed that ultimately they then can't plant so we've had to um respond to that and um, yes it's it's put us under pressure um but we've we've reacted to it um logistically it's been challenging but um yeah the farmers are pleased and uh Yes, we've had a reasonable season.
0: And you've got out there, you know, sheds full. You know, you've got bags and bags and bags of it. And, of course, it's that speed, that uh, process, really, to get it in, get it bagged, get it out again, isn't it?
4: Yes, I mean, it's important. Um, Basically, we're, we're, we're selling to the farmer... Um, and the farmer wants it when the farmer wants it, so we've got to be very careful. It would be very, very nice if we could if we could produce it and, and deliver it to farm, um, but farmers are busy doing land work, and we need to be mindful of that. So um, yeah, it has its it has its own challenges, as you can see at the moment. The sheds are the sheds are a <laughs> full to bursting. Um, but yeah, the farmers now, we've got some on chasing for seed, so um, we're
0: going to get that to farm and turned around very quickly. And it's coming in from right around the country, isn't it? Not, not just locally.
4: No, we have seed growers geographically dispersed. It's good for many reasons. Some is, if we have some in the south, we get it off earlier. Mm-hmm. For those growers that want to get on and, and, and drill earlier, it also spreads out our risk. Um, so if we had a weather event in a specific area that would be uh, a risk to the business and the final products we tend to spread that risk and you're looking for what hadrian's wall right the way down that will be seed deliveries in terms of growers we'll go yeah we'll go wiltshire to 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 yorkshire so a, a, a fairly decent spread
0: there's various standards and that you've got to uh, adhere to it as well. You know, the government has certain standards that you know yes, they want you to check. Can you talk us through those?
4: Yes. So we produce seed to the high voluntary standard, which mm-hmm. will basically, um, uh, it's allowable tolerances for um, a minimum germination. Um, there's a, a, a moisture level that it has to meet and various um, weed seed standards. So it's a, it's a purity level, essentially. Um, and all our seed that comes out of here at HBL will meet that high voluntary standard.
0: And again, it's going into a variety of products, from bread to beer to well, all manner of things. Isn't
4: it? Yes. So um, we do a lot of the uh, well, we do all the processing for the for the Warburtons contract here. So every seed that leaves here will will ultimately be be grown on and mm-hmm. and and be in your in your loaf of bread. Um, we also do molten barley buybacks and, and various other things. So yes, it's nice to see from start to finish um the food chain in mm-hmm. essence.
0: And the chances are almost maybe every listener, but certainly most listeners that are listening now will have be eaten something which probably has come through the, the sheds here.
4: Yes, so the seed from this plant, definitely if you if you buy your Warburton's loaf, definitely and uh, yes, if you buy other bread then almost That's certainly. It.
0: Phil Crowther showing me around Honeypot Lane and what they do at Open Field. Let's stay with Open Field. Shall we get our weekly update? Rebecca Pierce has the news we need this week.
2: Yeah, normally every time I do this, we've had a week in the red, whereas this week we haven't.
0: <laughs> That's the first. What else is happening?
2: Whilst we haven't had any real moves on the UK wheat market this week, if we look at where London Wheat Futures closed on Thursday evening a week ago versus where they closed on Thursday evening this week, Values are marginally up and this has been reflected on the farm gate prices which have strengthened a pound or two this week. Although in reality things do still feel range bound at the moment with nothing overly influential to either support or negate our prices. We heard the latest from the AHDB this week suggesting that despite a decline in demand for the bioethanol market, thanks to the recent announcement from Vivergo, things have not drastically changed for the UK wheat supply and demand outlook for 2018-19. This could be perhaps due to the continued demand we see from the poultry sector, with the number of poultry chicks placed in the UK continuing to break records. Consumers do appear to have adequate cover pre-Christmas and with many growers taking advantage of the good weather we've seen recently and cracking on with their autumn sowing campaigns, selling grain doesn't feel at the top of the priority list on the farm at the minute, with many farmers already having sold forward for the autumn, both at the lower end and higher end of the market. For once this week, our commodity newswires were not filled with talk and speculation from Russia, although without doubt the trade continues to pay close attention to the Russian spring wheat harvest, their export pace, as well as keeping a close eye on losses over in Australia. Feed barley values remain firm this week, and whilst they still trade at a discount to feed wheat, that discount is significantly lower than in previous years. Let's have a look at prices now, and feed wheat remains in a similar range to a week ago, with prices for October circa 170 to 175 pounds a ton, with a pound per ton per month carry through until May, where many growers can achieve around 180 pounds a ton ex farm. Premiums for full-spec Group 1 milling wheat have marginally declined this week and are now trading around £12 to £14 pounds a tonne over feed, dependent on area. Feed barley values continue to hold their ground, with £163 to £170 pounds a tonne available ex-farm for October, with a pound a tonne carry going forward until Christmas. Oilseed rate values have put in a nice gain this week with prices now around £318 to £321 a tonne X farm for November with a pound carry going forward until spring. There still remains a good demand for feed beans and values for many are north of £200 a tonne X farm. Speak to your local open field trader for premiums available on those parcels that are fit for human consumption, either winter or spring beans. With autumn sowing fully underway, let's just have a look at current values for harvest 2019 as despite values easing from recent highs, they still represent a strong opportunity for margin at the farm gate. With harvest nineteen feed wheat trading around £151 to £155 pounds a ton X farm. And harvest nineteen feed barley trading at £133 to £139 pounds a tonne X farm. And harvest nineteen oilseed rape trading at £305 to £310 pounds a tonne X farm. Whilst the oilseed rape market remains very focused on the US China trade development, the market has gained this week. Canadian canola has firmed, as has European oilseed rape. Our values at the farm gate have firmed around ten pounds a tonne this week and are back to levels previously seen a couple of weeks ago.
0: The latest prices and news on the markets. Thank you, Rebecca Pierce at Open Field. Back to my visit this week to Sturton Estates then and my chat with farm manager Oliver Smith. We discussed earlier the current pressures on the farm at the moment. and It's one of the reasons why it's diversified into a number of areas.
1: I'm in charge of or I look after the, the arable farming side and uh, most of the operations. And uh, yeah, myself and the other chap on the farm look after the winter maintenance. But uh, we have a log and wood chip enterprise. We're increasingly uh, an open farm, so we have various events on. Uh, the next event we've got is uh, Pumpkin Trail and Deer at Safaris. We're trying to make our business more resilient. Um, I work directly with the owners of the estate, uh, Anthony and Helen Strawson. Um, Anthony looks after the sort of logs and wood chip side um, and timber, you know, woodland management on the estate and Helen um, Helen really looks after the event side. We're trying to get to a point where we are, you know, maximising what the estate can offer us. There's a lot of history here. Um, it's a very interesting place to uh, to sort of live and work. The estate has developed uh, considerably. There was very little management done of the woodlands here before I arrived. Um, we had a forestry business. My you know, chap I work for is a forester by trade, so he. he <laughs> He would openly admit that his own woodlands were the worst managed woodlands that he uh, he looked after. Um, and as the work in forestry dropped off slightly due to the recession, um, you know, it sort of gradually brought that expertise back here. And uh, yeah, we've done a phenomenal amount of thinning and replanting and um, yeah, the, the woodland really is starting to you know, look good. Um, and the the bit that we've developed for visits is uh, yeah it's quite a spectacular area i grew up five miles up the road i never ever knew all of this was back here before i arrived here to
0: work and i guess that's you know again getting people onto the farm being that kind of open farm getting people on to see because many people will drive past not having any clue what's just up up the, the farm track
1: yeah absolutely yeah it's something which is quite close to anthony's heart is wanting to be as open as possible you know the emphasis is on us being a a working farm who opens up to show people so in that respect we're you know we're quite a, a different proposition to a lot of places you can go um and it's great what we really need to do as an industry is engage with our public and this is one thing we've not been very good at through the years we are a fairly closed book as far as that's concerned but not here thankfully Thankfully not,
0: no. Thankfully not, indeed. That's Oliver Smith at Sturton Estates. Their next event, by the way, is a pumpkin trail and deer rut safari uh, happening over the half-term holidays, uh, 22nd of October that week. If you fancy getting up close with the deers on the farm, you'll find more details on their website.
2: The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast.
0: High pressure is continuing to dominate as we go into a brand new week. That brings plenty of dry weather. Today, for example, it should be mostly dry. 13 the high, the wind from the west-northwest at about 10 to 15 miles an hour. It will be cloudy through today, but that cloud will clear overnight. That means a chilly start to your October, 5 Celsius early tomorrow. The wind from the northwest, 10, maybe gusting at 25 miles an hour overnight. And then it's a sunny Monday. 12 the high, a little bit chilly, and northwesterly wind, 10 to 15 miles an hour through Monday. Overnight Monday into Tuesday, it will cloud over. That might bring a shower in place. It's quite breezy as well from the southwest, 15, gusting at 30, maybe even 40 miles an hour. First thing on Tuesday, lows of around 9 Celsius, and then through Tuesday itself, patchy cloud. 14 the high, as I say, it should stay dry though with that high pressure. The wind from the west northwest at 20 to 30 miles an hour. Into Wednesday then, and it looks like being another sunny day, a little warmer. 16, the high, the wind from the west, 10 to 15 miles an hour. And then the latter end of the week, looks like being more of the same, really. Temperatures in the mid-teens, overnight lows. Still could be a bit chilly, maybe 6 Celsius come the end of the week. That's the forecast. Our last word this week is a good luck message to organisers of the annual London Sheep Drive taking place today. Every half an hour from ten until five, flocks of sheep will cross London Bridge with Alan Titchmarsh herding the sheep this year, a job that Mary Berry did wonderfully last year. You won't want to miss it if you're in London. Um, If you find yourself near London Bridge, uh, do go along and support them through the rest of the day. I hope they have a good day and as ever, I hope you have a good week's farming. Take care.